You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Wednesday, 22nd February, Budget Day, 2 o'clock. I'm Simon Brown, coming you live and loud from remote studios in Cape Town. On the show today, we're chatting with Fahima Adia from Momentum Securities. Uh, results pouring in. We'll touch on Motus and, and briefly on BHP Group. Gary Kaplan from Carp Industrial Group. Tough results. Load shedding's hurting them, but it's hurting their downstream customers even more. Petri Rodenhurst, Herenia Capital Advisors, trading volatility with the VIX. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from MoneyWeb. Avenge balance sheet in best shape in years, according to the CEO. The shares surged more than 13% after the group reports profitable earnings for the fifth time in a row. Business day, what's the la- what the latest data says about the risk of recession. The Reserve Bank's composite leading business cycle indicator shows momentum and economic activity contracted on a monthly basis. Remember, we chatted with ABSA last week. They said, heck, we're already in a technical recession. Morning markets, the U.S. was red after being closed. Uh, Monday, S&P was off 2%, the Nasdaq down 2.4. Asia is red, Sydney down 0.4, and Tokyo off 1.3. Commodities mixed overnight, gold 1,845 Brent 83.15 and your two green are again the PGMs Platinum 9.44 Palladium 1,508 The Rand 18.26 Bitcoin 24,200 Tencent is off half a percent in Hong Kong lunch break and top 40 looking looking for a red open but 20 points to the red which is a fraction of a percent MoneyWeb now on the money also available on podcast. Chatting now with uh, Fahima Dear Momentum Securities. Fahima, appreciate the early time this morning. We're in the, the thick of things in terms of earnings seasons. Uh, first, I want to touch Motus. I, I had a look at the numbers. I didn't think there was anything wholly wrong with them. The market did not seem so convinced. Your take on, on, on the Motus numbers and valuations? Morning, Simon. Um, Yes, so the market didn't respond well to the updates, so price was down almost 6%. And you're right, on the face of it, the results looked okay. Uh, If you look at the revenue, that was up 14%. Operating profit was up 22%, and headline earnings per share up 13%. But what you need to bear in mind is that while a portion has been driven by the recovery of that auto and car rental sectors, it's actually not a like-for-like comparison due to those recent acquisitions. Um, So if we take a closer look at the results, you will see that the business is actually facing headwinds due to high inflation and a constrained macro backdrop, which is impacting consumer behavior. Um, If we looked at the passenger and commercial vehicles businesses in particular, which includes the UK and Australia, it actually showed a decline in the sales of new units and pre-owned units. And then the company also said they expect consumers to remain under pressure in the short to medium term. And even though supply 
chain constraints are improving, it still continues to impact the cost of vehicles and parts in the short term. Um, the business has also been impacted by your higher interest rates and inflation. So we think that did drive the recent sell-off. Um, and another factor to note is that the net debt to equity increased significantly to 75%. Yeah, uh, yeah due to the funding of those new acquisitions and higher working capital. Um, so your interest costs are going to be much higher and uh if we look at the net debt to EBITDA, that was within an acceptable range, but there is a need for management to reduce this high level of debt. They did acknowledge it and say they're hoping to bring it down by the end of the year. So I think that was uh, all in all driving uh, the negative reaction from the market. Yeah, it's pulling apart the numbers and a lot of that, of course, also looking forward. BHP Group, it's a giant of a company with a ton of moving parts in, in different different geographies and, of course, different commodities. A, a, a quick point. I mean, I, I look at it. I, I, the stock looks a little expensive to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So if we look at the, the results, it, it did have a challenging first half. Uh, revenue was down 16%, profit after tax down 32%. It also missed consensus expectations in terms of earnings, and the div- the dividend was cut back on the back of that. So this was mostly driven by the lower prices of iron ore and copper. And then there was also increased unit costs due to inflationary pressures. It did, however, maintain its production guidance for the full year and um, is expecting recovery in the second half of 23 and into 2024. So like you said, uh, you know, it is looking more fully priced at the moment. But in the long term, we expect price levels of copper and iron ore should normalize as the Chinese recovery gains momentum, which is, of course, a big market for BHP. And also copper is considered a green metal that will be in the in demand in the future. And it's something BHP is looking to expand into in uh, further. Uh, but yeah, I think it is facing headwinds this year. Uh, Fahima Adia, Momentum Securities, appreciate the time this morning. There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Chatting with Gary Chapman, uh, CEO of Cop Industrial Holdings. Results for six months ending December. Revenue up 12%. Headline earnings down 17%. Gary, appreciate the time today. Uh, the revenue up 12 and the HEPs down 17. Really tells the story of, of, of what's been a tough, tough six months. And, and I mean, let's touch on load shedding. I mean, your, your operations, which is a, a lot of it, is manufacturing. Load shedding must be nothing short of a nightmare. Yeah, hi, uh, Simon, and thanks for having me on your show. Um, yeah, it's been a tough uh, six months, and, and I think, I suppose the story is around revenue growth in order to recover cost increases, mm-hmm. but certainly subdued uh, volume and demand environment, um, and a lot of that is driven by load shedding. So, uh, yeah, very, very tough. Um, we, we've managed to operate most of our plants relatively effectively, but the downstream impact is significant, um, just on our customers, on retailers, um, and obviously that drives lower lower consumer demand. 
which we've really felt through our businesses. Yeah, I, I take that point. Maybe the impact not at you, but it's in that chain somewhere. You mentioned the, the revenue there. I mean, you, you've been able to push through some, some cost increases to recover increased uh, input costs. We have, Simon, yeah. So this has been coming for some time. I mean, we saw cost escalation through in the prior year already. Mm-hmm. So it's been something that we've been actively working on. Um, and if you go through and unpack our results, in most of our divisions, our sales volumes have actually been lower, which kind of illustrates what we've managed to achieve in, in terms of recovering cost increases, uh, because most of that revenue increase is actually cost recovery. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. And, and, and therefore, you know, not increasing margins, not increasing uh, profits to a degree. Inventory is also up almost a billion on, on uh, H1 versus the previous H1. I, I imagine some of that is, is higher pricing. I imagine some of that is also, to your point, your, your downstream uh, customers uh, ordering more, more softly, more cautiously. Correct, yes. So, so two elements. Um, obviously, the higher commodity pricing coming through in mm-hmm. our costs, which sits in inventory, as well as in our sales, which sits in, in debtors. So both of those are elevated through prices. Uh, but then also we did have volume increase in uh, inventories, primarily as a result of softer demand. Yeah, okay. So softer demand some there. PG Bison, uh, probably the, the brand, well, actually I was going to say the brand best known, but actually you've got a bunch of fairly well-known brands. They're doing fairly well. You've, you've been expanding. You had a, a delay on, on, on one of the, the, the new plants there, but that's still operating fairly well and, and, and fairly robustly, notwithstanding tough conditions. Yes, um, PG had a, had, a, had a very good um, uh, six months in, in the context of the environment. Um, and I think it illustrates, in one sense, the, the strength um, of that business. Mm-hmm. But in another sense, uh, we've done a lot of work over an extended period, it, just in terms of, of marketing that business and creating consumer demand. And a lot of that product actually ends up in informal markets, which I think is a good illustration of the resilience of those markets, which, which I think we often underestimate. Mm. Um, and that drove a lot of PG's continued demand, we believe. And that has been. I mean, we've been uh, over the over the years. We've been chatting around results. I mean, PG Bison. You, you talk around that reposition. You talk around picking up in, in, in terms of, of of adding capacity there. That that, that strategy, which which has been a, I don't know if it's long term or medium term, but but it really is is paying those those, those benefits. And and as you say, creating awareness, creating demand in the markets, uh, creating much export demand as well. Yes, um, um, we, we actually grew our exports in this um, half as well. Um, so I think through creating the production capacity, creating consumer demand, enabling our customers, uh, just the combination of those factors mm. collectively has, has uh, supported the results. Uh, Foltex, uh, I was going to say small in your life, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, what, a, a billion rand revenue, which was up very chunky, operating profit, uh, more than doubling at almost 100 million. That's selling into the automotive. And, and I'm asking this question so I can get perhaps some sight to some of the automotive uh, uh, companies out there. You've seen sort of conditions improving because that was, again, a, a really tough pandemic and even post-pandemic because of supply chain troubles in that industry. We have seen improvements, Simon. Um, it's not back to pre-COVID levels yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a, a, a fair amount of variability, but overall volumes up and certainly improving levels of consistency. So I think that was one of the mm-hmm. difficulties we had previously was just 
significant variability in demand, and that's starting to stabilize, uh, albeit at a, at a slightly lower level, um, but certainly a, 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 a more sustainable, more manageable situation. Looking forward, I mean, the the, the next six months, and, and what, you're six weeks into those, those in fact, seven weeks perhaps, into that, the, 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 the sort of the second half of the year, I mean, it, 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 it looks tough out there still. I mean, you know, we're sitting here as we, as we speak, uh, stage six load shedding. It's not suddenly getting easier. It's, it's almost, dare I say, kind of the new normal. Yeah, Simon, we, we're concerned about load shedding. Um, you know, at level four, uh, I think the economy can operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, at level six, it gets very challenging um, downstream from us. And at stage eight, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be crippling for the economy um, and and for consumers and, and individuals. Yeah. So that's a big concern for us. Um, we're building significant um, uh, kind of resilience into our system to be able to continue operating uh, through various levels of load shedding. Um, and other infrastructure impacts, um, so water, um, mm-hmm. uh, security, etc. So those are part of our, our mitigation plans, uh, together with looking for opportunities of, of where we can grow, um, so trying to open up new export markets so that we can continue producing and, and continue selling our product. Yep, and I take a point. And a lot of that challenge is downstream, which, of course, largely out of your hands. We'll leave it there, uh, Gary Kappen. Uh, CEO of Carp Industrial Holdings. Always appreciate the time. Your money gives a damn. If it could protest and sign petitions, your money would. But your money can do more than that. When you invest in Stanlib's Infrastructure Investment Fund, beyond getting solid returns, you are helping to build a more sustainable future through job creation and positive economic growth. Damn right you are. Invest for more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Chatting with Petri Radenhais. Uh, he's, of course, founder of Herenia Capital Advisors. Uh, chatting VIX. Petri, appreciate the time today. VIX, which is essentially the volatility index uh, from Chicago based on, on, on the options there. In your weekly update this Sunday, you make the point that, as a rule, when, when sort of markets are going down, VIX tends to rise. So if one's a little bearish, as you have turned, uh, perhaps VIX is worth having a look at. Yeah, good morning, Simon. Um and that's quite right, yeah. So the VIX has this inverse correlation to equity markets, right? Because we know that VIX is a range-bound instrument to trade sort of between zero and 100. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's imp- it's it measures implied volatility of the S&P 500 index. So there's different, you know, there's VVIX, which is the VIX of VIX. Uh, and then there's a European VXN, which is uh, uh, essentially the VIX on European indices. There's different sort of measures of this around the world. We focus specifically... Uh, well, mostly I think the world focuses on the VIX, which is specifically the S&P 500 volatility index. Um, and yeah, so what happens is that during tumultuous times, uh, the VIX tends to rise as volatility increases. And as volatility abates and markets are strong and move higher, VIX tends to stay fairly low. So in a very strong kind of bullish type of environment, so if you take the last almost two months of, uh, of markets so far this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can see that the VIX has kind of ranged between 24 and 18. So historically, that's still quite high for good times, right? It can get quite a bit lower than that. 
Although there are obviously some some headline risk, which is why it's kind of set a base slightly higher at about 18. Uh, however, you know, it's been fairly uh, fairly sort of stable in that range between 24 and 18 for some time. And if you take, you know, if you look a bit further back to sort of uh, October last year, the VIX was trading around 34. And if you look at the S&P 500 at that time, it was coming down quite a bit. So when the market has this strong push lower, the VIX tends to rise. In fact, uh, one could even say that the VIX uh, leads only by a day or two, uh, potentially what the S&P 500 might do. And I mean, and this is almost a, a cunning way of getting that exposure because you're trading the, the volatility rather than the points. I mean, I don't want to say it's going to be less risky or less volatile, but it is a perhaps a, it's a more complex product undoubtedly, but it is perhaps a smoother way to get to the market or is that more hope than reality? I, look, it's, I think it depends <laughs> on a number of things. And I think you, you make a good point to, to say that it's uh, complex because it, it, it is, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, generally what happens is you trade a VIX future, right? So, uh, the U S futures market is a lot more developed than ours, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have, uh, you know, seven day futures and, you know, one week futures, one month, two month, three month, and so on. Right. So you tend to trade a VIX contract. Let's say, for example, you buy one, uh, now, uh, a VIX future, um, that you take a long position in that contract. And it expires in, um, you know, three months or something mm -hmm. to that effect. What's hap what happens there is you have that time decay element where it loses value every day. So if you don't, or the futures contract does at least. So the headline index here that we're measuring the VIX uh, might be moving, but the futures contract is continuously uh, losing value every day because of that time decay element in it. So if you don't necessarily... Uh, you know, reach your, uh, if VIX is not necessarily above your entry price, your losses could be quite severe. What's most common, uh, and also what we do for the most part, is trade VIX options, which is now another mm -hmm. layer of complexity where, say, for example, you buy an options contract with an expiry uh, on Friday coming, yeah. right? Uh, if your call option is for VIX to be 24 or higher um, by Friday, and VIX is not at 24 or higher, your premium that you paid for that futures contract or for that options contract is then completely gone, right? So you have a 100% loss yeah. that you could take on the amount of money that you used to do the trade. If, however, uh, you know, the VIX is trading at 34, for example, uh, you're up 10 points, depending on how many contracts you traded, it's generally about $100 a point. So, uh, you know, you could make you could make quite a pretty penny. So you'll, you're up uh, essentially $1,000 on that uh, on that trade, right? That is provided that the VIX closes at 34 and your strike is at 24 on Friday, yeah, right? And, and that's if it with is options. even one cent below, you, then you're out of your, the money. Yeah, yeah, and, and options are complex. I mean, I started my trading in, in options, and they're all more complex. What I liked about them is that asymmetrical payoff. Your risk's 100%, and the listeners out there are scratching their head and saying that's absolutely terrible, and I hear them. But it's that, that upside, which is, I mean, c can potentially be way more than 100 if you get it right, and that's the big if great instruments but uh folks uh be careful with them make sure you know what you're doing uh options and i, I mean volatility options futures uh, a lot of jargon in there a lot of them can bite your hand but if you get it right it can work Bethany Radenhays, herenia capital advisors always appreciate the insight <laughs>
That's it for today. As I said in the intro, today is budget day. So that's our poll on our LinkedIn and Twitter. Your expectation for the budget. I mean, are we going to see maybe some changes to retirement legislation? What about tax breaks? Or maybe it's just going to be a tough budget. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, yesterday we were chatting with uh, Jeff Miller around their 12B uh, Green Energy Fund. We asked if you were interested in investing into renewable energy assets. Uh, it was evenly split between the three. About a third of you saying, yep, it is the future. Uh, another third said, well, in a sense, already doing it. Got solar on my roof. And the rest saying, uh, not yet, but certainly interested. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning, the MoneyWeb website and the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobokle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. BidCorp results. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.